Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, so, Peter, what's new and exciting? Well, we just got through the big How to Be Outside virtual summit, which uh, was good. You know, it's it's these presentations as, as introverts, you and I, I think, are always a little stressed going into them, but it's good. You know, this is why we do races. This is why we do lots of scary things in life is to be a little pushed and, you know, feel like we're stressed. But uh, I think we were both fairly happy afterwards. It definitely made me miss uh, shop talks and clinics and stuff where we get to interact with people. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was still a fun night. Uh, so everyone who's been listening knows that I was originally hosting the How to Be Outside speaker series uh, in downtown Collingwood. It was supposed to be this past Saturday, April 18th. Um, we've since rescheduled for October 9th. Um, and yeah, we decided to still put on a bit of a, a shortened version. So we had myself, Peter, and then two other great speakers, Justin Jones and Tara Hunt from, from locally here in Collingwood. And you know, they hopped on Zoom and we managed to put together, yeah, a pretty, pretty smooth presentation. That'll all be up online pretty soon. So keep an eye out for that. And obviously, and if you're in the GTA, it'd be awesome to have you on board for the October 9th live event. And do you know where you're going to post this content? Uh, yeah, I mean, people can just head over to consummateathlete.com for sort of all the details and okay. get on the newsletter and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, that's that's the best spot. And yeah, we're we're in, I guess it's sort of week five, almost week six uh, since we've been home and been pretty isolated in our in our place. And, you know, it's it's been really kind of bizarre these past, I'd say the past week in particular has gotten a little crazy for us because we never are home for this long without at least a weekend trip, whether it's to a race or, you know, to a shop to do a talk or, you know, going to do a clinic or something. And it's a really different uh, daily existence, I think, when we're not kind of adding in all the running around. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely going to be tough right now for everyone. The the month two is, I think, reality is setting in for a lot of people. And yeah, we're just sort of, I think it's, it's important that we're just talking to each other, right? Hopefully you have people. If not, you know, hopefully you can reach out to uh, therapists or reach out to coaches or reach out to family members or whoever you can reach out to, right? Yeah, it's, you know, I stand by, originally I was like, ah, Zoom meetups and FaceTime hangouts are for the birds. This is not going to do this. Um, turns out I really actually enjoy them. I've had a lot of like coffee dates and you know, we've had good hangouts with, uh, you know, friends who've moved over the years and we don't get to see very much. So that's been really nice. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. I, it definitely is not in what I like to do and is a little unnerving. But, um, you know, I'd like to be in, in person having coffee with friends. But I did sort of try to focus on that, I guess, a bit more in this last week. And it is it is helpful. It's not quite the same. But ultimately, you know, we're talking and, you know, we're maybe both drinking coffee and you can see the person. It's it's close, right? It's, it's not so bad. So if, if you haven't been taking advantage of that, I would maybe, even if you're feeling, I think as someone who does get sort of down on the dumps and sort of tries to be like, I would describe it as like, you know, I think I'm being all like, you know, saving everyone else from my misery, but usually it's just sort of me being grumpy. Um, this is true. And, and you think that people don't want to hear from you or something, right? But everyone's sort of going through this. And so I think if you can muster any energy to sort of phone someone and, and reach out to someone, I think you'll probably feel better. Um, but also, you know, you might make someone else who you, you, you might even think is doing okay, but they might actually really enjoy hearing from you. Right. And they might not be bugging you cause they think you're, you're busy. Right. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. So anyway, let's talk about today's interview. So we are back on with Greg Lehman, a little less talk about backflips, a little more talk about his work as a chiropractor. Yeah, and let's back up. Greg Lehman is a a clinical educator, physiotherapist, and chiropractor. He has a lot of letters behind his name. Um, I've I've known Greg for a bunch of years now. I initially met him, uh, sort of got, I got hit by a car, I think, and I think that's uh, when I got in to see Greg to just sort of in the physiotherapy sort of process afterwards. Um, and I really liked him. He's, he's, some people may find him frustrating, which I think he would agree with, um, because he's very 
good at thinking through like why are we doing things and what do we actually know about things so you might find at times like he'll say something like you know stretching doesn't necessarily enhance performance or prevent injuries and you might be an avid stretcher and that might be like oh that's insulting to me but i think if you if you back up a little bit and think through like what do we actually know so we're talking about studies perhaps we're talking about performance outcomes it may be that for certain applications something like stretching may not be uh worthwhile right it might not be why we're doing it we might not be doing exactly what we're changing so sometimes it it might seem like he's just telling you not to do things or it might seem like frustrating um but i think what I, I find Greg is is really inspiring for us to just think through like why are we doing things and like what do we know and what is the process sort of that we're going through. Um, and so I really like following along with them. And so hopefully some of our discussions today will at least give you thought about st- what you're doing or, or just in general about different concepts. Um, yeah. yeah and, and, I, and hopefully some practical stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the one note that I had during this interview is that uh, Peter and Greg are pretty nerdy. I'm not going to lie. Um, I was on it too. And I feel like there's enough times where I'm like, wait, what does that actually mean? Uh, but they did start talking a bunch about knee OA. And I admit, I actually thought this was just like a reference to like the matrix or something like Neo. Um, turns out it means knee osteoarthritis. Right. So just a heads up that that's going to come at you sometime during the episode. Yeah. And I will say, if you want to follow Greg on Instagram, um, it's much more lighthearted and mostly about doing backflips and going to gymnastics as an adult. So he's also, uh, I think, would qualify as a consummate athlete because he's he was a gymnast as a in his youth, but then his daughters go to cheer school, which we talk about. And so he just started going to, the, it was at a gymnastics gym. So he started playing around with it, right? And sort of progressing. And he posts sort of like his, his practice sessions and stuff on the trampoline, which uh, he's been doing here in isolation. So we talk a bit about what he's been doing with his daughters, but then also on his own for sort of his isolation training. And then I think we talk a bit about his running and getting back into running, right? And yeah, which is super interesting. And I think it's really good for uh, especially all of these newfound runners out there. Uh, if you're someone who normally would go to the gym a lot or swim and everything, and you're trying to get into running because it's the option available right now, got some valuable advice. Yeah. And what I really liked is he he was curious a couple months ago on Twitter about sort of the math method, which is just sort of training easily, like easier than most people want to train for running. Um, and he was curious about it. And then he sort of actually just actually tried it, uh, put did his own experiment with it. And he said he hasn't felt this good and run this consistently in a long time. Right. So the classic is like you run at this, you know, 140 beats a minute and then the paces drop over time. If you're disciplined with it and you keep getting faster and faster at that. 140 is pretty relative. It depends on your age, all that kind of it stuff. It does, but I do like absolute numbers and it's, it's pretty funny how often, like if you tell someone you have to run under 140, they'll probably come back and say, I can't do that. And then if they practice over time, they usually can. But yes, of course, if your max heart rate's 160, this is probably not relevant to you. Um, yeah, so that's that. I think a bit of practical stuff. We talk about knee pain in cyclists. We talk a bit about acute chronic ratios and TSS. So that might be something else that gets offensive for people. But yeah. <laughs> All right. So much to be offended by in this episode. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Greg Lehman. Um, why don't we start? Like, can you give us, I, I thought movement optimism, you know, you've been using that a bit more recently. Can you give us sort of a refresher of where we're at with movement optimism and what that means today in 2020? Uh, it's, it's more of a reaction, right? Like if you look at classic physio, chiro, athletic training, kinesiology, all all that stuff, it's, it's all about finding things that are supposedly wrong with people (laughs) and saying that needs to be fixed. It's like, you're doing it wrong. That's why you have pain. And that's, that's what I don't like. It's like, um, you know, your, your pelvis is tilted forward and therefore you have more stress on your back. It's such a negative view of the body or your knee caves in a little bit when you, you know, when you ride your bike or when you run, that's why your knee hurts. It's such a fragile, uh, view of the human system. So that it's more of a reaction to the, what's called the kinesiopathological model. Kinesio just means like movement and that people move bad and that's why they have pain or a muscle in the back turns on 100 milliseconds late and that's why they have low back pain like that that's what physio is fraught with that that's the history of it right so my view is like no no there's nothing wrong with how people move your muscles are working fine or if they're working different it's 
because you have pain and, and pain corrupts. You, you can adapt to uh, having your pelvis tilted forward. And if you really look at it, you're just because you're standing there and your pelvis is tilted forward, as soon as you start, stop, start walking and moving and sleeping and sitting, you change up your posture. So it, it, there's all these inconsistencies in the traditional model of, of pain. So this is more of a reaction. Right. And it's not saying that we don't need to move or that um, you might not need to modify something necessarily. It's Yeah. It, it's the idea that these things, like, don't chase these things. Yeah, your, your back hurts, but so we view that as being sensitized for some reason. So what are our options to help with sensitivity? And sometimes it might be moving differently. But that doesn't mean we're teaching someone to move in the right way. You're just saying, oh, that hurts. Don't, don't do that for a bit. So let's change your setup on your bike or let's change your running or let's change how you lift. But we're not changing you to the right way. We're just changing you to another way, another technique. Cause, and, and then if you're an optimist, you say, well, what's the right technique? And we say, well, a, a lot are, are, are available to, to you. Because you might have perfect technique before. I, I did quotes there. No one can hear those quotes. <laughs> Like based on what people think is the right way, but that could hurt. And so you, if you're optimistic, you can say, well, I can move differently. And a, a coach might say, no, no, that's not the right way to do a backflip. And you say, well, that works for me and it feels good. And I'm doing the, my performance and I'm achieving my goals. So it is the right, the, the right way because it feels better. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just, just looking at it like that. Or you say, don't get caught up in trying to fix yourself. And we say, well, how can we adapt to this painful movement pattern? What else could we do? to like decrease your sensitivity. And the irony here, sometimes, especially with people who are physically active, sometimes like we add more load, which sounds weird. You just add different stress on the system and you build them up to tolerate their sensitive uh, task. Or sleep more or something, right? (laughs) Or get a hobby or go to church. I don't know, Like, like you just look at something else that's good for them and then they tolerate the shit that hurts. Right, right. And we've talked a little bit in the past, and Molly certainly has, has used, I think, in a couple articles, your um, your idea of the, the cup there and sort of how much stress we can take as far as, as a cup. So um, when we look at this movement optimism, then I guess part of that then is, you know, you're an athlete, you're a cyclist, you've got back pain. So we might look at, indeed, maybe you your knee is dropping in when you move, but are there other factors, like is the world falling apart at the moment, or you know, are you sitting a lot at home, or stressed about work, that type of thing, yeah. right? Yeah, that's it. And, and so all those potential mediators of pain go in the cup, and the big idea in there is don't think all of them have to be emptied. You don't have to get rid of all the stressors, because... Now you're screwing people even more if you tell them, oh, depression is linked with low back pain. And they're like, well, I've been struggling with depression for 20 years. So my back <laughs> is now, now I messed up forever because I'm never going to cure that. Right. It's, it's more like understanding that it's a variable. And it's odd, but the, the irony is sometimes when you understand and get a better grasp of things, it's less threatening and then you have less pain. You can always go to zero, but it's more manageable. Right. And is there something like what is a, a step? Sometimes you look at, you know, what does what do you, the person in, in pain, what do you feel like you could improve in, in that respect? Right? Is there something around sleep or nutrition or or something? Right. Yeah. The 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 question I've come up with, which is nothing. It sounds like I, I spent hours figuring this out. It's more like I would take these courses that explain how complicated pain was. And I'd be like, oh, this is too much. I, I can't look at someone and say, oh, it's 13% anxiety and 20% how much they're training and all these other things. And so the idea is just kind of ask people or yourself, like, how can I be healthier? What are the things I'm willing to do and would enjoy doing? Or what are the, what, what, what are the areas I can optimize? And, and that's it. And, and that, that's sort of like, I call them halo treatments because they're not specifically going after your pain, but you're kind of making yourself as, as good as you can be. And then, and it carries over. Hmm. And you see that a lot. Sorry, I'm on a... That's okay. It's really... Sometimes people, like, give up on getting, like, fixed from their chiro or their physio. And they're like, screw it. I'm just going to ride more. I'm going to join a CrossFit gym. And they just do things. And then they suddenly... Not suddenly. It takes time. But then one day they wake up and they're like, it's been six days since I've had pain. I just stopped fixing myself. But I've just done all these things. And now I feel great. I don't know if that makes sense, but well, it does, it and it reminds me. Um, I, I was reading; I think it was in McGill's book, actually, that he actually mentions um, 
like fake, like a sham surgery for, mm. for back pain, right? And it's like you tell people, and sometimes they even made an incision, I think, which sounded questionable, but they, they like convince <laughs> someone they've had surgery, right? And then they're like, oh, yeah, I got better. But then it was, you basically force them to take some recovery. And maybe there's some mental factors there. But is that sort of in line with what you're saying, too? Like time's gone by. Yeah, I had a patient yesterday and I told that anecdote and I, and I really agree with uh, Professor McGill on that. It's the, I might take it farther than him. It's the idea, just stop, like if you've tried everything, you've worked with a bunch of therapists or coaches, just sometimes at some point, stop trying to fix yourself, right? Just, just, there's nothing wrong with you. You have pain. Let's just stop this for six weeks, you know, almost cut everything. This, that, that the idea of what Stu's saying, you're, that, those are for the people who just do too much and they have to pull back. Right. Yeah. Right. It's more to trick them to, to, to the only way to force them to stop, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So so there's two ideas in there. Mine is more like stop chasing a fix. And the other idea in there is just give yourself a complete break. You're, n- you're not going to wither away if you take a if you're just walking for six weeks and that's your only activity. You, 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 you're robust enough to handle it. And then we'll slowly start building you up after six weeks or something. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's good advice sometimes, which is, it's really hard to do. Super hard. I mean, the world almost has to stop and the government needs to sort of say, stay in your house almost, right? Yeah. For us to get forced into this. Yeah, I was um, going to say, it's like now is the perfect time for this. Um, I, I do like this idea though, and I do want to, because I, I think the clientele I deal with often are more of the super type A, like we're super hard people, they do amazing things, and then they drive themselves into a, you know, a brick wall repeatedly. Yeah. Um. And then, and then they want to fix themselves, so they're like going to drive themselves into the fixing wall repeatedly. Well, so when I slipped a disc like ten years ago, I remember in like one day I went to an acupuncturist, a chiro, a massage therapist, yeah. And then I couldn't move for like three days after. <laughs> but that was like my okay. I have to fix this. Here's like the places I can go. And it's almost like that becomes a stressor in itself. Is all that stuff, right? That's the idea. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with giving, you know, one or two things a, a try for a bit. You know, but usually I, I think less is more when it when it comes to rehab. Right. Mm-hmm. And so some people like this is these are crude categories. We we would crudely put them into two different um coping strategies. One is an avoidance coper, where you withdraw, you're super worried, you're fearful, you just stop doing things, you avoid certain movements. That's the avoidance. It's pretty well researched. Um, and then you have persistent copers and that might be the people you're, that you guys work with, or you might be them yourself where you just keep poking and poking and trying and trying and you just have to pull back uh, a little bit would, would be the idea. And then there's a mix. There's probably a mix in there where you, you're persistent, but you also keep avoiding some things. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm fine as long as I never, you know, ride my bike again, or if I never, right. Uh, move in this way, or if I, you know, sit with perfect posture. That that's it exactly. Like they keep they keep riding the bike or keep doing the goal activity, but they have all these rules of how to do it. Like I gotta brace my core, I gotta turn on my serratus, I gotta fire my glutes. So you're avoiding just like just moving your spine and being relaxed and, and doing it that way. Which is skilled movement. Like that's the, the definition yeah. thereof is variability and so forth. And yeah, um, you shouldn't have to think about it. That's the idea. Right. Right. Yeah, I remember knowing someone who had to have his kid put on his socks for him so he could go ride because mm-hmm. he couldn't like bend over to do so that. So he's avoiding bending over. Avoiding, but then probably persisting and maybe hammers the other stuff that he's doing that might be sensitizing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah so like, he... like hunching over his bike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, like literally putting on his socks to ride, he couldn't do, but he would still mm. go out and ride. Yeah. Hmm. That... That, that that that's interesting. So then, it, built within that, then so you have uh, the one thing I you've been talking a bit about acute chronic stuff. I don't know if you've moved on, so I apologize if you have. <laughs> um, but we have this idea of you know the cyclist has been riding, um, and then they maybe have a, a spike, and the debate is you know is there a ten percent? Is there a number we can attach to this where we're going to increase our training load? Um, and is there an increased risk if we go over you know some magic ten percent? load yeah yeah so that's the the acute to chronic workload ratio and the the critics of this uh all that we're really saying is there's nothing special about this we've been saying don't do too much too soon for 50 years right the challenge in the coaching world is like well what's too much and what's too soon 
right? And so what, what we've reacted against is like this almost certainty that this acute to chronic workload ratio is some special thing where where it's actually verified and there's a there's a range of what it is. And in the studies, you know, it's like 10 to 30 or 40 percent. And we're like, well, no shit. But the thing is, you, you can't look at someone at an individual level. This is what the research shows. And and actually have any idea. Like it's not practice. It's not actionable. It's just a guess. Right. That's it. Like, the, and that's what the, the re- it's, it, it was something that was accepted way too soon, like in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, it got in all of these position statements and the research behind it was really weak, right? It, 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 the, the, the theory is sound, don't do much too soon, but like in practice, well, we couldn't figure out what that is. Yeah. And to make a decision, because initially I was like, I mean, yeah. I see people who do do like the, I think when you were initially talking about it, there was like you know, well, no one's going to do 50% more. And it's like, well, you know, you have your cyclist who works nine to five and then they go away and they do, you know, a ton more hills and a ton more volume. So they go from one hour a day average to a four or five hour a day average. Like people do crazy yeah. stuff. And so at first I was like, I don't know, Greg, this, this definitely happens. But then I was like, well, but then do we know that that's even necessarily because they're also not working. And then we start getting into all this stuff where like, you know, is it an issue with this person when their whole stress, if we get back to your cup analogy, maybe we don't even know that. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly like we, it it just doesn't seem like it's really something that helps a coach or an athlete. Cause what about all, think of what an ultra runner does. Well, you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, and and that's actually like you're, you're violated all the time. A hundred percent on the, and if they actually day. Yeah. Yeah, if they trained all the time at that level, and some of them do, but they're the ones who aren't racing anymore, they would fall apart. You actually almost save, you, you train at a lower level, and then you just destroy it in the race, then you recover. So we, like, we violate it all the time, and again, like, it, it just, my whole thing was, it's not adding any more information than what we've already had mm-hmm. for decades, which is, we know that we can do too much, we just have no idea what that is. <laughs> well, and so often I like see your discussions on your Twitter and stuff. We'll link to they're all often good, but often over my head, but they do make me think. And so I was like, okay, well, in cycling, we have this training stress score, which is the idea of like, you have your intensity, your volume, you t- sort of multiply them together and you get a, a training stress score. Um, so if you ride for five hours, you get, you know, it would be easier pace, but you'd get a bunch of training stress. If you just did like one hour, really hard effort, you get a bunch of training stress. Um, and so it's just sort of how hard it is, but it, it ignores it, the problem, the criticism, and it's known, you know, this is acknowledged that it, it ignores, is it a hill? Is it hot? Are you stressed? You know, the life stress and so forth. Right. Um, so it, it sort of got me thinking more about that and like, it has the same, you know, don't increase too much per week and don't do a massive ride all of a sudden. But then again, what is the, the utility, right? When we know someone could easily, you know, end up hurt in a variety of ways, right? Or yeah. ill in a variety of ways. Or, or when people get hurt when they haven't increased their volume, right? They've just, there's plenty of people. They're doing sudden. the same thing all the time for yeah. months and then, and then they're sore. I would wonder if you guys, like I would still track that stuff as a coach. And what you might find is that you can make individual recommendations where you, you have yeah. people who are incredibly adaptable and they can go, they can have 30% increases and then they can cut back down. Or you have someone else where you're like, no, 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 I've, we've learned that you're a five percenter. That's the most you can increase your long run every week or something. Like yeah. maybe, I think it's more about an individual, individual level. Yeah, you do. You start seeing that for sure. And, and you start seeing like the idea with it is that you sort of build to a certain level of fitness, like a chronic load. Um, and, and then you sort of can taper down and you start, start being able to see like an ideal, like, uh, readiness or they call it, uh, what is the word I'm looking at? Uh, fitness form. So they call it form sort of the balance of the two, the acute and yeah. the chronic gives you this form. And then the idea is that like, if you want to race well, then you're in this like range, right? And the hope is that you can start seeing trends of like what type of form and fitness you want to have, you know, for an individual, individual. Person. And you'd never like, there's, yeah. there's sort of the normal, like most people, if they start carrying too much fitness, there's like at some point, but like, Again, in common sense, we would, yeah, at some point, if you're riding 20 hours a day, it's just the ultra runner scenario you were talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know with my, with my running, like if I did the 10% per week thing, like if you start at 30 K, I think at 14 or 15 weeks, you're at 113 kilometers per week. Like there's no way, like it's just, 
that's what I mean. That's not not useful. Right, and that was sort of the the criticism that you see is that the the rotate that like rolling chronic average, it doesn't weight like recent versus pat like i think that's what i've seen as a criticism right is that like 30 days ago is weighted equally to one day ago so you'll have different ones you'll have different averages that they've done you have moving averages right uh so they'll look at that too and even that doesn't make any difference so you get complicated maths in there and then it doesn't help at all though the big criticism is that the numerator which is like your past week or whatever that sometimes is fold that's somehow folded into the denominator so you can't you shouldn't use that but i i, I don't know that the, the math criticisms on that the basic thing is it's not it's not actionable any more than what a good coach has been doing forever right <laughs> right and that's the tricky bit yeah so definitely I, I it's one of those things that but then again i start looking at it and i'm like well is it how valuable is it you know versus tracking hours or tracking you know yeah, any of these that, other things exactly yeah Hmm. Okay. Well, no answers there, but there you go. <laughs> none, none. But but the the underlying principle probably has something, right? Right. The common sense that good coaches and it, I I wrote an article years ago called like the coach coaches are the first biopsychosocialists. They're the ones that know their athletes, and they're like, you know, this week we've got to back off, you know, because your school's rough and you're stressed. And I can just see it in your face and how you're walking. Mm-hmm. right they're not looking just at the spreadsheet not that they had spreadsheets 50 years ago but that you know they're they're not looking at the the cute to chronic workload ratio and the numbers they're just looking at the person right, right? and i guarantee coaches have, have have done that it's just that's the art right and we, we try to put science in here and yeah we're not yeah. Not, not smart enough too right. many unknowns that's the problem yeah it's sort of that balance with research i guess right of like you know trying to show that something works but then you have so much individual variability um, you know, where it yeah. then comes back to that way, you have to talk to the person and see what's going on. Right. Yeah. Um, so on that note, I wonder, do we want to go maybe keep on this idea of the individual then and say, so we have a cyclist, I have a couple of like this right now. So I'm sort of modeling this after current or yeah, current, uh, clients. So they have sort of this bike fit. There's maybe a bit of stuff with bike fit, but they're having, you know, this sort of frontal, you know, side, maybe like you could call it maybe IT band, but sort of lateral to frontal sort of knee pain when they're riding. The knee hurts. Got it. Knee hurts. Exactly. <laughs> That's the diagnosis. Yeah. It hurts here. Yep. Um, they are able to ride for about an hour without it hurting. Um, but it's been going on now for like a year, basically. Um, so they've nursed it through. Um, and then they're also concerned that it will never go away. Yeah. It, it can. <laughs> Uh, so you're wondering what what I would think here? Yeah, like uh, I mean, I think you you are doing you know sort of these Skype consults and so forth too. So I mean, yeah. I think I'm just curious, like how you would talk someone through. And again, just general. I know this is not specific. So There's lots of other I'll, stuff. I'll give you I'll give you the questions that I always try to ask. And I, I mean, I've been meaning to do a blog like this because every clinician does this, but we don't think. I don't think we explicitly think like this, but we should. You kind of you're always trying to ask answer a question. So like with someone like that, you. My big thing is, you know, have they, uh, are they avoiding or are they like the persistence? So, so have they backed off? Have they really given it time to settle down and done something else? Or do they just keep doing the same thing o- over and over? Like, do they, do they need like a, a loading reset in there? They might need to take that three weeks of very minimal stuff and slowly start, start doing it again. That, that would be the idea. And then, and then, at a micro level of load management, I, I'm all, I'm always open because after a year, I, I like if, with a runner that that's where you start thinking. Well, or a cyclist, which I don't know as well with the bike fitting, can, can does changing their technique change their pain? Would it be worthwhile to change something at a micro technique level, just to give them same ideas like different load or you know could they could or could they change where they ride, uh, you know, the, the environment that they ride? Because there's something that you can change to change up the, the loading going on in there. And then the other idea, which is your pretty classic physio, is, you know, what, what's their strength and conditioning like? Like, to me, I, I view like an IT band thing like a tendinopathy, where it's coming on 
at an hour, like why is it still sensitized? And can we can we load up that whole system with exercise to make it more tolerant uh, of it, right? So they might want to cut their volume of, of training for a bit, but then really load that whole leg, the side of the leg, as heavy as they can. Like so, you you look at their exercise and like, oh no, I have been doing exercise, and really it's just stretching or something like that, or body weight exercise. And you, and you got to look at these people as athletes and you say, well, those exercises, if we think that that exercise is causing some change in your system, if you're training very lightly, well, that's not enough of a stimulus to adapt. So we got to load the hell out of that, you know, you, you, to really get you to adapt and change. So that that would be the exercise route that I would take there. And then, and then after that, these are the things that are harder to do because it's less actionable. That's where you start asking those big questions of like, you know, what do you think is going on? Are there some negative beliefs where they're really feeling down and that their tissue's broken and or whatever, their mechanics are broken and try to try to address that pessimism maybe and get a shift in toward optimism. And then you ask those tough questions like what are the other things in your life that you can do to, you know, be healthier? And that's the biopsychosocial stuff. And again, I don't think I treat the biopsychosocial factors. I still treat mechanically, but it's more just having them look at the other areas of their life. Like, do they need help with optimizing those? Yeah. Right. And maybe that there's um, some hope in those too, right? Like it is a worthwhile pursuit and maybe a, a divergence in their focus away from just a knee. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sometimes and we get so focused on like my right knee that we forget there's a whole body and brain and life attached to that. Yeah, that that that's it. Like, like it's not that it's not in their head. You have this knee irritation, but it's the idea of the way that the brain and the mind and the psychosocial factors they interact with that knee irritation and they amplify it. That's how I like to to view it. You know that. Hmm. How deep would you go on nutrition? Like, would like do you see yourself referring no, out for nutrition? I, I, or? Uh, yeah, for sure. I don't go. I I'm like. Yeah, I don't know shit about that. <laughs> so I would refer out. Yeah. But but you do see cases where someone's like obviously, you know, by their own description or or however, uh, you know, the nutrition is a factor, there's inflammation, there's whatever, like and you would say like this is something that's like a lo- a low-hanging fruit. So if someone's o- over overweight, like with a lot of tendinopathies or NEOA, we know that that has a metabolic component. Like but I mean like metabolic at the joint component, like it has the, an, an inflammatory effect, which can predispose to tendinopathy and, and knee pain. So yeah, I'd have them talk to someone about getting help losing weight because it's hard. And, I, and that's the thing, like I'm not, I'm not set up to help someone lose weight or eat, eat better. I can just say, you should lose weight and eat better. They're like, no shit. Thanks for your, thanks for your time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's hard, right? And you know, exercise isn't enough. So, yeah. Right, People. but it is a. There could be a win there. Um, yeah, yeah, especially when it's so like even just looking at that from biomechanical, right? Like, there's a loading issue potentially there that you know if you can make progress, right? Good change. It's neat. Like with Neo A. Uh, the, the load, like people think when we lose weight it's, and they feel better, like Neo is osteoarthritis, sorry. Yeah, uh, which was um, on the list, so we'll just move to that oh, question. Oh, okay. Yeah, perfect. The, the weight loss is really interesting. The, the research, yeah, weight loss is always recommended if you're overweight when you have knee osteoarthritis. And we assume it's because there's less load on the knee. But you can also have similar improvements in pain when you don't lose weight, but you just try to lose weight, <laughs> right? like exercise or eating better. And so the load on the knee doesn't change, but the pain is less. So it's not always about load. Or, and there's some very counterintuitive studies where people lose weight, they're more active, and the load on the knee increases because of their activity profile. Like they're running now. That, yeah. Right. So there's more stress on the knee, and they're doing better. So like the load, like, load is weird when it comes to, to, to knee pain. Like we like to think less is more, but I don't. I don't think it is. It's like your response to it, and it's how like adaptable your system is, and how healthy your system is. So, so you don't always have to lose it. Although it is one option, you can cope with it too. Right, right, yeah, and that's so multifactorial. But that that is super intriguing when you think that like we try and think about it simply as like oh you're just overweight, but it's. I guess that's that's nice to know, right? That it's not necessarily that, that you don't have to just have the scale get lower, 
to see progress. Yeah, yeah, because you can have these these changes in the in the. And I'm not a, a chemist here. I don't know the biochemistry anymore at all. But you can the scale will stay the same, but you can have changes in the metabolites and the inflammatory process and all the things that might be sensitizing someone. Hmm. So it's like you tolerate the weight is the idea. And in those studies, like, is they're probably likely too short term that it would be any major change in body composition. There's a few where they'll follow them for a few years, and 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 yeah, you'll you'll see improvements in people that do lose weight. So you'll you'll see like a drop of five to ten kilograms, um, and which which is good, and they'll do better. But then there's a group who just exercises and they don't lose weight, and they do better as well, right? Hmm. And that's definitely at six months, and I think the follow-up in that study that I'm thinking of is 18 months. So they do follow them, follow them long enough. Okay. Now, if this knee pain, you know, we're sort of shifting here a bit, um, but if someone was with arthro- osteoarthritis or, you know, related sort of Baker cyst type thing, um, would the recommendation still be similar around uh, exercise and, and that sort of stuff, or how would you vary yeah. that? Uh, absolutely the same. Like I wouldn't treat someone who's 70 with knee osteoarthritis different than someone who's 25 and an elite athlete. The principles are still there. Right. It's all it's all about you know getting adaptability and building tolerance and looking at the whole system if you can, right? And understanding. So it's just your entry point into stress is different, like physical and all the other stresses. Right. Yeah. Right. It, it doesn't change at all, and that's 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 the NEOA literature. Like people can still respond positively to stress. Hey, Peter, what does a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach do? Well, Molly, let me tell you, I work with busy people that want to do big, crazy adventures. You know, these are people who have kids, they have families, they have all sorts of work stuff they got to do, but they have big goals. They maybe want to do a big mountain bike race, 100 miler, something like Dirty Kanza. They might just want to keep up on the group ride and all these things are really, really cool adventures and really good breaks from all the other stuff we have going on in our, in our busy lives, right? So I help people do that. And so I really like programming and finding ways that we can fit movement into their lives. Sometimes that involves, you know, consultation around movement or trying to work through some sort of injury. Uh, and sometimes it's just dealing with, you know, fitting stuff in and getting the work done. So that's what I do. I, I coach and I build training plans and, you know, that's that's what a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach does in my case. And how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in, in well, chatting with you? You're on the Consummate Athlete podcast. You go to consummateathlete.com. You can find coaching links on that website. Awesome. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, and you just tweeted it. I'll link to it, but a, a new, I think it's new, uh, sort of exercise program that's free access, which I know is sort of a bugaboo for you, is the, the access to these programs and certifications and stuff. Um, yeah, the peak. Okay. It's the the physical I, I don't know what peak stands for, but it's something <laughs> like physical exercise for, you know, neo way. Mm-hmm. I, I think I don't know if it's it's uh by Rana Hinman and, and, and I think I'm sure I said her name wrong, and Kim Bennell out of Australia. It's uh it's to teach therapists to do but anyone could take it, to do telehealth consults for people with knee osteoarthritis. But it's also just, you don't have to do telehealth. It's just showing that you can do it telehealth. The information in there is good to just get started with helping people with NeoA. And basically, it's simple. It's an exercise and education program. Mm-hmm. Like what, and what? And it's essentially what we've been talking about, right? Like basic sort of yeah. motions, strength training type stuff. Yeah, they're, they're, they're great because they're like, there's lots of ways to skin a cat. These are some examples of what you can do but they're really open to like no you just need to stress the knee you need to do like a squat you need to pick something up you can do a one-legged squat you can do a lunge you can do leg extensions you can do leg curls like that that stuff doesn't matter it's not those little details that we've always focused on reform that uh, for form they're not that important you don't have to turn the vmo on first or balance the activation between the hamstrings and the quads or get the semi-tendinosis to fire before the semi-membranosis, whatever. Not that you could do that, but. And then around the education piece with osteo, then is there something in particular like versus your cyclist who's maybe got an overuse or not loading enough, which are, I guess, similar things versus someone who actually has OA, 
what would the education piece be? And this could be your own opinion or from that. The, the education, the idea behind good education, like education itself probably doesn't help a lot with pain. But the education when it comes to knee OA is, is like, yes, your knee has changed and we call that degeneration. But it doesn't mean that your knee is like just because you have what they call wear and tear, that doesn't mean it's going to get worse. That's a normal change in tissue and you're not doomed to have the surgery. And just because you have changes on an x-ray, it doesn't mean that more exercise will make it worse, right? Because the, the education is really about addressing false beliefs that lead to unhealthy habits, like sedentariness. That's, that's the foundation of the exercise. Like give good information so people can make good choices. And then ideally that motivates or at least permits some behavior change. The behavior being be active, right, which is so that- counterintuitive. But is helpful for OA. Yes, yeah. That's the that's that's the the education in a nutshell. Even though that, it might actually be uncomfortable, especially to start. Yeah, and so that's an, so there would be like step two in the education phase, <laughs> right. right? Like, oh, so it's I'm not hurting myself that it hurts. No, it's allowed to hurt for a few weeks, right? You haven't really moved much. It's sensitized. There's inflammatory mediators in there. It will hurt. Let's reevaluate. Or if this exercise hurts, okay, let's do this one. And we'll come back to that one in the future, if you like. Right. Yeah, that, that, that's it. It's something as simple as that, but it's hard, right? That's a huge mind shift. It is. Um, another mind shift that maybe you just touched on, but maybe might be catching people is sort of this idea of, you know, we have this like clamshell exercise for my hip or knee. And, I, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's this very specific sort of isolation exercise. Um, but often in the research, we see that it's actually something, again, like just moving more, moving differently, you know, a, a more traditional weightlifting thing versus a ton of really specific isolation th- therapy exercises, for lack of a better term. Um, can you take us through the thinking on that? Again, maybe with one of these knee examples, but or, or not. So it, what's difficult with all rehab is we don't truly know why an exercise is helping someone. Right. That Like we don't know, like. Do you have less pain because you got stronger or do you have less pain just because you started moving it and got confident in it and then that let you walk more and then the walking led to all these other things and then you spent more time with your friends golfing and then you feel better. Do, 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 do you know what I mean? Like there's, it's, it's complicated. So often we'll like, we will shit on an exercise because it doesn't achieve what we think is the most important thing. So that's why you have like a lot of strong opinions out there mm-hmm. because we have preconceived ideas about what has to happen. So we'll say that exercise sucks because it doesn't do this, which could be like load the glute knee tendon. Really, like that, that's why people don't like the clamshell because they'll say it doesn't work the glute knee, so that's not going to help you if you have hip pain. But the assumption in there is that glo- loading the glute knee is the thing that helps someone recover. Do you know what I mean? Whereas... A clamshell can help people for some other reason, just because they're moving the hip and now you're working the glute max and maybe that's sure. what'll help someone. Yeah. Or just out of like sagittal plane or something too. Just yeah. moving side to side. Yeah. Like the, sometimes people, ju- just the act of trying to help yourself will get you better for some people. Right. Just the act of, like it's how you, I'll have to often have patients I don't know why I need to see you today. Well, as soon as I booked the appointment and came in, I started feeling better. <laughs> I'm like, you're welcome. I'm still charging you. <laughs> you're, you're in the door. Um, yeah. Okay. And then, and then, I mean, maybe related to that and maybe not. Um, but again, recently you, there was a thing on Twitter I saw that again got me sort of thinking. And it was around uh, a weightlifter. I believe it was with cleans doing... Uh, like essentially an ab roller, like roll out, stir the pot type exercise, like an ab exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's probably deeper than I understand, but sort of I got thinking like, well, maybe they, you know, your contention was like, why is that, um, why is that, you know, the key exercise for this person, this person who's quite skilled and very good at lifting a ton of weight off the ground? Yeah. No, I just used that. The example was like you had, yeah, a, a power lifter. And then, and then, and the argument is they need spine stability when they're lifting something, and so then the argument is, well, we need to, we should do this other exercise, like uh, very, like work the anterior core, which would also work the lat. So do this other exercise that will somehow help their their lifting or keep them safe for injury prevention. And it and it went back. It's just 
my my question is always this, which is like it has to do with like specific adaptations. Like, if what's the best way to prepare someone for running? Is it to run slowly, progressively, or do you break the running down to a part its parts and say, well, we need to train the calves, we need to train the hips, we should be doing squats, we should do hop. Do you know what I mean? Like that, it's sort of that debate. That it's like this big debate. Like if so. Going back to the strength training, if if doing a, a clean or a, a snatch really demands a lot of work in the anterior core, so the rectus abdominis and obliques, if 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 it needs that, then why is the goal task not a sufficient sufficient enough to cause you to get to prepare for it? Do you know what I mean? Why isn't a su- sufficient stimulus to cause the body to adapt? Yeah, but then, but then someone might say, "Well, it, if you look at the the snatch, it doesn't really work the the core that much, the anterior core." Right, right. Which, and then which you might take, but then why? Then you'd say, "Why do you, you need you it?" Should... <laughs> exactly. That's the you know what I mean. That's what I was having trouble wrapping my head around. So you say, "Oh, you need to do the stir of the pot because the snatch won't work the anterior core that much." And then you would say, "Well, if it doesn't work the anterior core that much, then why do you need to do the the stir of the pot?" Right. Right. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Unless your goal is just to develop all around athleticism, then I get it. Right. So that that was the challenge. Like no one with a runner, you would never say, "Okay, running's not really working my forearms, so I need to do wrist extension work." Right. Said no runner ever. Yeah, it's because <laughs> it, you, you would need you wouldn't need it. And so is this is this the same? So it's, it's it was just like more philosophical. Like what what do you, what do you need in your training? Like we know strength training will help runners be a little bit more efficient but you know so my idea is like maybe when you strength train or do something else you're developing some other secondary ability that running doesn't give you and that carries over and helps with the goal task yeah so it got me thinking because like i often think like in in cycling there's like respiratory system you know there's the heart there's the muscle adaptations and so we sometimes use maybe cross training or we you know there's goofy like respiratory training stuff you can do yep um and there's sort of the same theory. There's a word for it. It's not synchronicity, but it's something where like the body basically like whatever the limiting factor is, like it, the body sort of just like the systems work together and it'll catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of what you're talking about in some ways that like, why isn't snatching enough? Um, but then there would also be like a theory of like limiter and compensator where you could say, oh, well, the body when you're snatching, you know, the the other parts other muscles compensate for a weak abdominal and this guy's able to snatch what he can snatch but if maybe the core were the limiting factor and he worked on that maybe he could then as a whole he would be able to do more because you've worked on the limiter yeah um yeah that that's the theory that's what i was going into you should have chimed in (laughs) well i was like because then i confused myself because i was like i don't know if that's true, because maybe you would just yep. like you just keep progressing over time in your snatch, and you you know as long as you progressed using the acute chronic ratio, then uh, you'd be able to get there, right? Like maybe maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah, I know we're kind of twiddling our thumbs here. I know, and I know, and I and I was apologizing as I was tweeting all this <laughs> stuff because it's kind of academic. Like I would still that's the that, the other the way I take it is just train comprehensively. We don't know, so let's just optimize everything, and right. then it can carry over you know like i i do lots of gymnastics now and i want to do standing back handsprings and i don't have the power and i don't have the flexibility (laughs) that's the problem (laughs) i just you saw my setup in my living room earlier and uh, i almost landed on my head the other day because i threw one uh and i don't think just doing back handsprings is enough to improve it i i think i should do direct vertical power jump training and i should do direct like thoracic and like hip extension training and shoulder training that's that's the idea when sometimes it's just not enough to do the goal task that's essentially the debate well and that you're you're having to scale the movement right which is that's gymnastics in a whole right as they would just gradually take you you know you do what like cartwheels or you do uh like a bridge type thing right like is that not yeah. essentially the progression would be something like that right you'd use that's- like that's the idea. You do do progressions in there. Or a, a better one that would apply to more people, I think, would be with hamstring injury prevention. So uh, it gets torn when the leg is, you know, at it. We have most hip flexion and it's, the hamstring is lengthening. So there's a lot of work out of Australia where they do the Nordic hamstring curl, right. you know, the, and, and that helps treat and prevent. And people will be like, that is 
almost isometric. It's mostly or eccentric. Uh, it's super slow. You know, that's has nothing to do with sprinting. So why don't we just sprint to train your hamstrings to be stronger? And that's the debate, right? So can you have this like specific exercise, the Nordic extension? versus sprinting what's the best way to prepare the hamstrings for sprinting and that's sort of what i was asking with the snatch what's the best way to train your core for snatching because i know the anterior cord hardly works during a snatch it'd be weird if it was working a lot right when you do a squat you don't need your abs right because they want to pull you forward and the ground is already gravity is already doing that yeah, you got to stabilize your trunk, but it's a little bit of activity. I've been meaning to shoot some EMG videos with my daughter because they're all jacked and, uh, and like doing doing like um, squats, just showing how little activity there is in the core. Anyways, I'm off topic. Sorry. Yeah, and then it begs the question. Yeah, like do you get like an overdevelopment, over tightness in the the hamstrings or something in that case of sprinting, right? Where you've been like just really strengthening those up, and then now everything's like too tight, maybe even right? Or I don't know. I, I know that the, the, the people with the, the sprinting as vaccine, like that camp, like they have good research behind that, that that's enough. You can just do smart sprinting to, to prevent injuries. Yeah. And then do we get back to a load right again, whether acute chronic or, or not, but the uh, idea that they're just like, that's a load based error. If someone's just sprinted too often or too hard. Yeah. The, the idea actually is more of the underprepared because they'll just, They'll only sprint in games, and they haven't done enough like concentrated sprint work in their practices. Right, so they're on the wrong side. Like, of yeah, the load. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're underprepared. Yeah, yeah. and that's interesting yeah, that's... too. And I guess, I guess that gets to that idea of education now. With all of this stuff we've been talking about, is it, it's not uncommon that people are not trained sufficiently for this yeah. for whatever the the task is. Right, that could be a life task as much as a sprinting task or a game task. Right. Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, let's throw, you had the one here for, Molly has one question for you that's more, more specific and to the point. And I think you actually had an article anecdote about this years ago. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on an article about ways that we can, we can mess up our run form, which is something that I'm always very like questionable on because I don't really believe that there's any correct run form. <laughs> um, however, yeah. I do tend to run holding my phone in my right hand at all times. Um, <laughs> thoughts, That's horrible. How do you feeling? do that? Oh I my gosh. I, I, just... I asked the same question, but she's pretty fast uh. and she keeps going. So. <laughs> it hasn't, it hasn't hurt me yet. I, well, except for the fact that I guess my right knee is the one that went out and I do hold the phone in my right hand. So yeah. Yeah. Thoughts, but you, you're, when your left knee, when your left foot strikes the ground, it's with your right hand. So I, I wouldn't, <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. Uh, uh, no, th th so that's the idea like that. With, with that phone thing, I wouldn't worry about that. If you, that's something you just get used to. That's nothing. The loads are so little. Mm -hmm. we, if we're worried about loads on the body with running, then don't run. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's the primary driver of load. Same with all the little changes we make in running form. They only make tiny changes. The primary creator of load is the act of running. And then mm -hmm. we do these little changes in technique, and they change things 5 to 10%, like just tiny little changes. Mm -hmm. right. So, but we're, we're – sorry, go ahead. I was going to just ask too, like w would it change if she was having an uh, issue of some type? Yeah, I mean the 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 magic behind physio is – Okay, what are you doing? Okay, maybe we don't do that for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's change something. That's that's a that's a secret. <laughs> don't tell anyone. <laughs> let's change your shoes. Let's change where you run. Let's change who you run with. Let's change how fast you run. Let's change how much you run. Let's change something. Right. Yeah. Shift. Yeah. Shift that balance or or something. Well, too. I'm not holding my phone in my left hand. That's impossible. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. That's just weird. Yeah. Okay. Uh, fair enough. Uh, anything else? Or are you pretty good? I think I'm pretty good. Um, I think we, we didn't really start recording till after we talked about it. So how are you handling uh, being homebound? So if we can maybe get some inspiration off of your gymnastics setup. Well, we're lucky because last year we moved to, you know, the suburbs of Toronto, which is just uh, Scarborough, East York. We were in the heart of Toronto. So now we have a backyard. So I have a massive trampoline. We have like a tumble track. Um, my clinic is here, which has a full gym. 
my neighborhood's pretty quiet, so I can still run. Uh, I don't go on the I don't go on the trails anymore because they're swamped with people in Toronto. Right. I swear, yeah. everyone has decided to become a runner or a hiker yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah. I'm like, I did it last week, and I was like, you guys were not here the week before. <laughs> no. I do not appreciate yeah, this. This is my trail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm maybe. getting really mad because people keep running on the wrong side of the road, and that's how I can tell that they've never run before, and it's the most yeah. irritating thing in the world for me. <laughs> no, it, it's, yeah, I know that, that, that this quarantine just makes me hate humans, or at least 10% of them, because you, you go for a run, and 90% of people on the path will move over to the sides or slightly off. And then there's always the 10% who just keep walking at you. Yeah, somehow or, like four abreast too. Like, what? Yeah. I had to like jump into the trees the other day. Yeah, I just keep, I want a shirt that says, you know, like six feet, get away from me. Mm-hmm. It's like you go to the grocery store once a week, you're getting yogurt and someone comes up and stands right beside you and reaches across to you to get their like, did, like did you not get yogurt. the memo? Yeah. Like, well, they have a mask on. That's the worst part. <laughs> yeah, they're they good. Know. Yeah, they're protecting. They're, they're rubbing shoulders. Six feet. <laughs> Jesus. It's not hard. Just wait. Sorry. You need like a giant hula hoop that you have around you with like suspenders to just keep people. Yeah. No. We're, <laughs> what I'm saying, we're fine. Yeah. Like I'm just, just quibbling. But my problem is most of my work is traveling and right. speaking to large groups of people. Mm-hmm. So I'm fucked. <laughs> That's like, <laughs> yeah. So I've canceled all my courses for the next two months, and I'm rebooking everything into September. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. really weird. Like we're usually on the road. I think this, like, we're rarely in one place for more than like two weeks at a time, and to suddenly be there's nothing on the calendar is just this very strange feeling. Weekends yeah. are free. There's no racing. There's nothing. I I just don't know what to do with myself. You know, I signed up for my first 5K race next weekend, and that's canceled in, like, four years. Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm still going to do it. It's just going to be by myself. Yeah. I think that's a good thing about 5Ks for sure. Yeah. Did you stick with your, like, one – What was it you were going to just run once a week or something? No, no. What I, uh, what I went to last December – was the uh, well? I wanted last year. I wanted to try like minimum effective dose, just do workouts, no easy runs, and I totally abandoned that and went to like the Maffetone low heart rate okay. thing for the I past three months. I think that's good. We're, we're yeah. actually talking to Steven Seiler after you, uh, Mister Like Polarized Training. So, well, I'm I'm 100% super slow, like 140 <laughs> heart rate. Like that was that first two weeks was so hard. Well, I'm glad you, like, it's a good method. Like, I think it's worth trying for sure. A lot of people find it's actually really enjoyable once they get going. I feel great now. Mm -hmm. And, and my heart rate is, my pace has come down 30 seconds per kilometer at the same heart rate in three months. Yeah. I just, I just did my test yesterday. Like my, my route that I know. Yeah. It takes a little bit of discipline, but it's, yeah, there's a lot of people that it makes a ton of sense for, but it's the, no, I think I was, I was pushing it too much before. And now like, all my runs are easy. I always feel good. Especially with like, your gymnastics. I think that makes a lot of sense to just save that energy for that. Yeah. 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 That's the thing. Cause I do a lot on the tramp. So yeah, I, I, and the gymnastics is the priority. So to just take an easy run and actually every, I just started every nine days. That's the fit over 50, even though I'm not 50. I'm, I just started adding some quality Fair enough. last week. It's good. And, and, and those numbers are fine compared to my past. So that's interesting. Just running slow, run slow to get faster. It's so, so interesting. <laughs> it is. All right, Greg, uh, we appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy yeah, your time. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. While you still have your podcast app open, do us a huge favor. Head over to iTunes or whatever app you're listening in and rate and review the podcast. It's super helpful. It you know gets us more guests on the show. It gets me a dog. Um, and it's just you know a good way to give back if we've provided any kind of value to you throughout all of the episodes you've listened to. If you're looking for the show notes, you can find those at www.consummateathlete.com. We have lots of other content over there and any information about coaching or events can also be found at that same website. And you can find us on the social medias at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.